0: Dealing with today's issues from a biblical perspective. Can you handle the truth? Informative voice for Christianity. The Marty Minto Show. Well, welcome back to the Marty Minto Show podcast. I'm your host, Marty Minto, the informative voice for Christianity all across America. The one who has been called the blue-collar theologian, trying to help others make sense of a lot of the confusion that's in Christianity today. If you want to share your thoughts, your views, your opinions, all you got to do is email me, Marty at gmail.com. That's Marty at gmail.com. But once again, thank you so much for joining with me here on the Marty Minto Show podcast. Oh, what a delight, once again, to be in the captain's chair behind the microphone, being able to open up the Word of God and for us to learn together so that we can teach others and ultimately defend the faith when uh, lies come about and people are saying things that are just not biblically true. Uh, by the way, i, I, I that's really today, th- this podcast is going to be about that. Uh, and again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being a part of the program and listening. And, and I cannot stress this enough that I am blessed for everyone out there who listens to the podcast, who tells other people about it. Uh, it is absolutely a blessing uh, to be able to open up the airways and put out these recordings and, and people listening to them. And, and uh, hopefully, and I trust God that, uh, you know, he, he says his word will never return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it has been sent. And, and I really hold on to that as being true, that, uh, you know, I it's not up to me the results, but it's up to me to stay firm upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, uh, to bring clearly and, and uh, very precisely his word to people. And um, if you listen to the podcast before, you know that I take that very, very seriously. And that is why today's program is so important for me, because ugh, i got to be honest with you, um, I'm sitting here disturbed. I'm just, you know, some would say Does it doesn't take a lot to get you disturbed, Marty. Honestly, we, we've we listened to you before. You get fired up about all kinds of things. Well, I'm fired up about something that I see more and more of in the day and age in which we live, and, and I have touched base on this a little bit, but today I would like to become a little bit more specific about it, and I'm talking about that. We know in the last days when it comes to false teachers, they are going to go from bad to worse. It's going to get worse. And you've heard me say this before. You watch so-called Christian TV, unfortunately but true, even listening to a lot of so-called Christian radio stations, uh, not to mention all the books, magazines, everything out there. There is, unfortunately but true, a lot of ignorance when it comes to the Word of God. There are a lot of people who are speaking the word of God, but who are not rightly dividing the word of God. They're not dividing the truth. They're not taking the time. Uh, some of them have not been well equipped, well trained, and so they like to, you know they like to say a lot of things. They like to use a lot of catchphrases and a lot of verses within the Bible that get people excited and sometimes even hooping and hollering and. And uh, but but I just find myself today in turmoil once again. I had a dear brother in Christ contact me just the other day, and he was telling me about a an evangelist that is coming or has already really landed in their community, and uh, the church that he's at, they're all excited. People are just, just they they think that this is you know next to Jesus showing up. This evangelist, he's it in a bag of chips. And I think the reason he called me is because, one, he knows that I have dealt with this before. Um, Here in the South, this evangelist seems to be growing in popularity. I have dealt with the issue of him once before, and unfortunately but true, when I did, I found myself um, just being condemned by tons of people. Uh, I could tell you uh, without reservation, and I'm, I'm not saying this gloating. Actually, it hurts, but I, I've i lost a lot of friendships, or at least what I thought were friendships over the years, with people because I stood upon the Word of God, and I actually uh, took upon this evangelist and uh, his workings within the local church. And I I dealt with it based upon what he was teaching. What most people would see is what the church that he's at now and what others have seen is that he has an ability, quote-unquote, because of his, um, I i i don't know, I call it a performance, but the way that he handles himself, the way that he speaks, he draws a crowd. A lot of people come. And then in the midst of these so-called revivals, uh, there are so-called salvations, many of them. Matter of fact, uh, when this all took place, when people began to ask me to listen and to watch this guy, Uh, he was at a church for weeks longer than he was supposed to be. And, you know, all the news around town was in in the, you know, and even in the Christian news is that over a thousand people got saved at this revival that continued to go on. But as I listened and as I watched, I I began to realize that something was wrong, Uh, seriously wrong. And now, uh, you know, he hasn't stopped. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't care what I have to say, and I, I got to be honest with you. I I don't even care what I have to say at times, but I do care what God says. But I find myself disturbed again because again, this friend of mine calls, and and what he's trying to do, and he's very strong and solid in the Word of God. Uh, he he pastors a a very biblical church, and and um, you know he has lovingly stood up to some folks and say, wait a minute, I, I just. I know you're all excited, but, you know, in the Scriptures, he goes back to the Word of God, and they are now condemning him. He is now kind of being blackballed uh, by some in the community, um, and I would even believe possibly could be some even who are a part of his church. Now, I don't know that for sure, but I, I think sometimes that's how it goes. I've been there before. I've done that and it seems like when there's excitement somewhere the the people follow you know people come from other churches you know it's you know they all gather together the birds of the feather gather together you know they stick together they want to be a part of this so-called movement of god but the truth of the matter is and for some of you out there who you know i i could simply name the guy's name and i actually went to his facebook page and i sent him um, a email or a I addressed him in Messenger, and I may have mentioned this before. Maybe you've heard about, it, maybe you haven't. But I asked to meet with him. I asked to seriously sit down and talk with him because what he was doing, what he was saying, was to, by far just—it's not biblical. But I began to realize in today in visible Christianity, even amongst Baptists, Southern Baptists, whatever, there's. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a standard anymore. There seems to be a lot of hooping and hollering, a lot of these so-called evangelists or preachers who can get people excited and emotional and move them in some way, shape, or form. And next thing you know, you know, as long as people come up front, it's 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 deemed as a great move of the Holy Spirit and God's at work and and those of you that are condemning it or standing opposed to it, you're jealous because your church is not that big. It's not happening where you're at, or you're spiritually dead. You really don't have the Holy Spirit. If you did, you'd be excited and jumping up and down and hooting and hollering and high fiving along with them. That's basically what happens. And the same thing is happening to this brother of mine, he's experiencing it firsthand. And and I'm not trying to, this is not boo for him, but I, all I could tell him is speak the truth in love. Stand firm on the Word of God, nothing else. If the whole city, the whole community goes after this guy who's supposedly a man of God preaching the Word of God, let him go. Let him flock to him, but you stand upon the Word of God. You know what is true. And um, I found myself again, I had to watch you know, the taped messages from the revival that's taking place presently in this community. And I began to realize, once again, that there is great ignorance when it comes to the Word of God. There is great manipulation of people, a manipulation in words, manipulation in emotions. Many of the things that have been happening, there's really nothing new but it seems to be more intense. It's more intense today. Uh, it's more intentional. It's pragmatism at its best because the results are deemed to be a, a movement of God, a God thing. And people get angry at me sometimes because they think I'm too critical, but I'm not being critical. I'm trying to be biblical. And I find in our day and age in which we live, there's a lot of people that just don't want to be biblical. Biblical. They, they believe because somebody is moved, somebody walks an aisle, goes to a so-called altar, somebody raises a hand, you have somebody, you know, a lot of people are flocking, this has to be a mighty move of God, which I, by studying the Word of God, would completely, unequivocally oppose And I could show you that just the opposite is true when it comes to the prophets of God, when it comes to the ministry of Jesus, when it comes to the work of the apostles, the New Testament church, and I could go on and on with this. And I find myself today very passionately, I'm not angry, I'm just passionate about the fact that I really, my prayer has been that the Lord would just take away the blinders. There's so many people blinded by this stuff. Uh, even so-called pastors, church leaders, who buy into this nonsense. Now, during this podcast today, you may hear me say some things that maybe you feel is a little bit I'm on the edge. Well, I, I am a little bit because it is nonsense. We've got to a point in place where it is just it's out of control. And my fear is truly for the souls of those who are flocking to hear men like this Really speak with little depth, of any depth at all, biblically, spiritually, but seem to be, you know, 10 miles wide. They want people, I mean, they, people are flocking to them, and they have the charisma. They, they have that personality. They have the way they talk. They know the cliche Christian phrases to say. They know the the verses to repeat five or six times during a message that'll get people fired up. They love to hoot and holler and sweat and wipe their brow. They like to scream and shout and walk the aisle and jump the pew. They like to do all this kind of stuff, all saying that this is a mighty move and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives but especially within the guy who is supposedly bringing the gospel message. By the way, I found this interesting today. As I listened to this guy speak last night's message, he mentioned the gospel, I don't know how many times, quite a few times, he mentioned the gospel. I'm here preaching the gospel. I did not hear the gospel not one time during the whole message. But last night, supposedly, uh, dozens upon dozens of people got saved, I can see a little bit on the video, uh, the people that are coming forward. But but again, this is nothing new. I've watched this before. But to me, I, I want to deal with this today. I, I kind of want to go where a lot of people are afraid to go. That's one thing over the years, I, I guess, good or bad or indifferent. It's got me fired from radio stations. It's got people to go, whoa, <laughs> I don't know if we want to stand close to him. I remember one guy years ago, uh, a very well-put-together man, he said you know, he said to me once, he said, Marty, I, I haven't seen you in a few years. I expected you to be dead by now. And, and I, I chuckled, and I said, well, what do you mean? He says, um, I don't mean disrespect by that, brother. He said, you stand upon the word. You speak and share the truth with people. But I've, I really thought somebody would kill you, would take you out by now, because you go places where most people won't go you talk about things and and I you know and he was going back to my years in Phoenix Arizona where you know um, I I found myself in the midst of death threats myself and my family because of speaking about homosexuality and at that time there was a great movement uh, a, a lot was taking place in that area but I again I things that but here's the point we sometimes want to shy away from confrontation. We don't want to share and stand up and speak the truth because we know that with most people it will not be popular. But the problem becomes when you have the so-called Christian community all gathering and rallying around an individual or around a particular ministry, and they're saying, well, you know, come on, what's your problem? People's lives are being changed. And the first thing I say is, are their lives really being changed? I mean, an emotional response or being manipulated by an evangelist at a so called revival gathering is not a life that has changed. And matter of fact, if you study the Word of God and you study Christ and, and His message and you study the lives of the people that followed Him, you would know as well as I know that most people who followed Him really, truly were not saved. Matter of fact, read John chapter 6. You want a perfect example? Go to John chapter 6. You'll see for yourself that the majority of people left him. You go to Luke chapter 14, a great multitudes, great multitudes were following. He stops, he turns to them, and he defines for them what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He gives three distinctions. And I'm not here to go through every one, but if you study, you'll see what those distinctions are. And the bottom line is the people left. See, I I think again today, my fear is, is in these last days in which we're living, and it's going to get worse, these men continue to grow, they continue to spawn and bring forth really uh, not fruits of the Spirit, but they bring forth men and women who are following after him, even young people thinking that they're, you know, they're the greatest thing since peanut butter and jelly. But the truth of the matter is they are not the people to follow. They're not pointing them to Jesus Christ. They can name Jesus Christ as much as they want. And I've had some other people say, well, well, it wasn't the apostles dealing with an issue that, People were, you know, teaching certain things that weren't, and Jesus said, leave them alone. And so why are you even bothered, just leave them alone? Once again, I I think we need to take that in its proper context and what is taking place and why Jesus said what he said to them. But I can tell you this, um, we are, as Christians, as the children of the living God, we are to truly take the Word of God— And we are to proclaim it. We are to live it out in our lives. And we know that when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to the Word of God, that we are told distinctively and clearly that the Word of God is um, not just important in our lives, but it is our lives, and we should use it appropriately. And there are times in our lives where we will use it to correct people. We'll have to correct people. We'll have to correct them because um, they are not believing, they are not teaching, they are not living according to the Word of God. There are even times that we will have to rebuke people. And you do so by what? The Word of God or through the Word of God. And, and I, I don't think what I'm saying is really anything new to probably many of you out there who listen to this podcast, but what I'm trying to bring to the table is an understanding that we do have a biblical mandate to take the Word of God, to stand upon the truth, to confront the lies with truth. And we, we need to speak it in love, and we need to trust God for the results— And and so on this podcast, I want to look at this whole issue, and and i got to be careful because of my time, because there's so much here, but I am concerned today, greatly concerned, and I've been concerned for a long time, and maybe that's why, even at the present moment, uh, over the years, if you know anything about me, I've pastored, I've been interim at churches, I've pastored numerous churches, I have uh, been a part of planning a couple churches, um, but I find myself today without a church, I'm not pastoring, especially here in the Bible Belt of the South. And there are many reasons, I believe, why, and, I, and I'm not trying to justify uh, anything, but just say to you that uh, there is a reality that there are certain ways that certain things are done. They're done all the time. And if you stand opposed to the culture uh, or the structure or the means and methods of certain denominations and groups of people in certain places, you are going to be the outcast. And that's exactly what I am. And, and specifically, one of them would be the, this whole issue of altar calls, getting people to come down to an altar and making some type of public pledge or profession or going down the alt, you know, aisle and, and going to the front. And, and I don't think for anybody who knows me, this is nothing new. See, I grew up with that. I so I, I want people out there to understand that I am not. This is something that it's not new to me or something foreign to me. The bottom line is, I grew up in that type of environment, which unfortunately, but true, uh, in the churches that I grew up in, uh, they still practice this. But when Christ saved me, truly saved me, it all stopped. And the reason it stopped is because I had to stand upon the Word of God. I had to realize, listen, there is no justification for this. There's no justification for biblical justification for altar calls. There's no biblical justification for, quote-unquote, asking Jesus into your heart. There's no biblical justification for walking aisles. There's no biblical justification for playing just as I am, nice and low on the piano or the organ, or strumming up the band to get people, you know, in this time of invitational response. There's no justification for it. Period. Now, some of you are going to listen to this, and I would tend to believe that this could be, it may be, because I am going, I'm going into the waters, the deep end of the pole, theologically. I'm going to go where most people don't want to go because it is not. Well, it's not popular to go, and probably, maybe even after this podcast, I'll get some people that won't listen to me anymore. And you know what? And that's fine if that's what you choose to do. But hear me out and understand that what I'm saying is not based upon my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings, but based upon the Word of God. And what is happening today in these so-called invitations, these altar calls, is really manipulation. You've heard them, you know, every head bow, every eye closed, no one looking around. I just want you to slip up your hands, or for those of you that God's speaking to you right now, I want you to look up at me so that the preacher can directly speak to that person. Um, You know, or, you know, I... I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. But if you raise your hand right now, or look up, um, you know, or would you please just quietly slip out of your chair and or your pew and walk down and come down front uh, to, to where Christ is? You know, come to the altar to meet Jesus. Um, we have designated counselors down here. Uh, you can kneel or you could stand. Uh, you know, once again, there's music playing, you know, I surrender all just as I am. Have thine own way, Lord, etc., cetera, et cetera. Stuff like this is taking place. Um, you know, many times, if not all times in a lot of the churches I've been, you know, that invitational time, it's even printed in the bulletin. <laughs> so people know when it's coming, it's done on purpose. And I've had pastors say to me, well, you have to have a time of response to the word of God. And that response needs to be a public response. Give the person an opportunity. Matter of fact, publicly it conveys to others that God is at work in the church and doing something in that individual's life. Um, You know, and then you have, you know, if you've given your life to Christ today, if you ask Jesus into your heart You know, I want you to come down here right now. I want you to stay here. I want you to, you know, and then the pastor quietly talks. And then at the end of it all, he says, I want to tell you that uh, Brother Billy, he's not a brother with us now. He asked Jesus into his heart today. He's given his life to Christ. And, you know, people, yay! yay. I mean, people go nuts and everything. And, you know, welcome to the family of God and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's, but I got to be honest with you, the whole thing is just, Not biblical. That's the thing that people just don't want to grasp. They don't want to accept because to them, they have, quote-unquote, seen it work, or they have seen it in their own lives. Now, um, I told you once before that I was there. I remember as a kid, I remember where I was. I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I was at youth camp, And the time came, and the preacher preached and said, go find a quiet place. I went out into the woods. I found this big rock. I climbed up in there, listened to what the preacher said, and I gave my heart to Jesus. I asked him into my heart, we'll say that night. When we came back, he said, everybody who did so come down, and I was along with myself, and I don't know how many other teens, blah, 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 and welcome to the family of God, you're saved, and then we went back home excited, and we went to church the next Sunday. The church got fired up because of what happened. All these young people got saved, and blah, 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 and what happened? uh, Well, like many, if not most, I continued to live a life of a heathen. Nothing changed. Now, some people would say, okay, so that was you. What about the person whose life's changed? Well, once again, I, I want to go back to where in the Bible do we find this stuff? Where do we where do we find this stuff? Where? And the answer is nowhere. You're not going to find it. Matter of fact, if you do some study in history, and again, this podcast, because of her time, I'm not going to give every single detail, but... Many of people believe it it really started back in the 1830s with Charles Finney. And he popularized uh, this it became very popular amongst the people this thing called the mourner's bench where people would come up and mourn over their sinfulness and you know kind of deal with their life before God and you know they were on on display, and, you know, many people would do that, and, you know, Finney became known for his altar calls or the the mourner's bench. Um, There was actually, um, during the 18th century, a Calvinist preacher uh, by the last name of Wheelock who actually called upon people to gather just below the pulpit that he might more conveniently converse with them, counsel or direct or even exhort them. Uh, but there's not a lot of history known about Wheelock, but Finney there is. And people would say that Charles Finney put the altar call on the map. Now, we know down through history you have Billy Sunday, you have D.L. Moody, you have Billy Graham, you have others. And I'm just speaking of well-known evangelists and people out there that, once again, they were a part of this. And it has become, in many cases, the norm within visible Christianity. But the problem is, we don't find it in the Word of God. Um, And what happens as we study the Word of God, we realize that there is no clear biblical precedent or a command to what we would call the invitation or the altar call. It's just not there. Um, I don't know if you realize this or not, but, you know, when we think about Christianity and salvation, Jesus didn't call us to a one-time decision about them, but he called us to follow him as disciples. Matter of fact, the true mark of a Christian's faith is perseverance, a life that's been changed, that continually confesses, repents, and follows Jesus. It's all about Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you listened to my last podcast, you'd understand the importance of that. It's all about Jesus. But a lot of people today think, you know, coming to faith or coming down an aisle, going to an altar, making a decision, asking Jesus into your heart, whatever the case may be, that that is the same thing, and it's not. And the danger I can say to you about this is simply this— is that people believe that they're saved based upon what they have done. I prayed a prayer that the preacher asked me to pray, which I that even baffles me too because there's no precedent anywhere in scripture for that. Now people have said to me that what about the the Pharisees and the and the publican? When the publican, you know, uh, you know, he wouldn't even look to heaven and he beat his breast and he said God have mercy upon me. Well, in the proper context, what is that parable about? What is it about? The self-righteousness of the Pharisees. I mean, you got to understand Scripture in its proper context, but even in that, nobody asked a publican to pray this prayer, to say these words, to confess after me. So if you begin looking at the Word of God, what you have is no clear biblical precedent in any way shape or form to any of this stuff let christ into your heart commit your life to christ say this prayer pray pray this prayer after me and many of today we know it's called the sinner's prayer they attach it to the altar call or they ask people everywhere to pray this prayer with us so that nobody feels excluded, even if you're saved. You don't want the person next to you who's not saved feel inadequate or feel ashamed. So everybody pray this prayer. Um, and all of this is brought forth uh, in the system of visible Christianity today. Not every church, thank God, doesn't do this, but the majority does especially if you're a Baptist, you know, the Baptist, I I mean, we could talk about the the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, um, you know, there are many groups, denominations that are all a part of this. And the Southern Baptists being the large evangelical denomination in the world, they are truly the ones who bring this um, each and every—I mean, you— very few of Southern Baptist churches could you attend where this doesn't take place every Sunday. Not to mention every service, actually. Anytime there's a service, it takes place. But I really believe that this has been a detriment, a detriment to Christianity because it's not biblical. Biblical. And you will hear me constantly say that because that really is the foundation of it all. It's not biblical. So when it's not biblical, I'm asking the question, why in the world are we doing it? Why are we encouraging others to continue to do it? I mean, we're we're a part of a system that's uh, wants to lead people believe that that their decision settles with God. I mean, everything is settled with God as long as you make this decision. You're all set. You pray this prayer if you really mean it. <laughs> I hear that quite often too. If you really mean it, if you mean it with all your heart, then it's all si- you know. It's all said and done. Well, who can trust the heart? The heart is despicably wicked. Uh, you know, wh- who knows the heart but God? You can't trust your heart. But so often people do that. So they make a profession. So they their faith rests in the profession that they made. And the truth of the matter is, it's not about a profession. Um, and that's what some people don't understand. I, I hear people all the time well, you know, the how-tos to be saved. I actually talked about this in one of my podcasts, earlier podcasts, and I'll just mention it there. There's no such thing as a how-to to be saved. If, a, if there is a how-to to be saved, then anybody can be saved anytime they want to be saved. And really, um, it's just, you know, you got to do A, B, and C. Well, wait a minute. Wait, there's denominations in, that do that when it comes to the sinner's prayer. A, B, C. Admit, confess, believe. Welcome to the kingdom. Once again, a non-biblical practice. Why? Because it's easy. Or I love this one. Give us two minutes of your time, and in two minutes or less, we'll share with you the gospel message. And if you believe it, you well, praise God, you're saved. That's kind of interesting when Paul used to go, uh, when he used to go to the to the um to the temple, he would go there and he would you know for three sabbaths he would reason together with them it took paul three sabbaths but for most people in christianity today give me 2 minutes or less and i could do the job see because it's 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 faulty it's it's failed it's 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 something that's not true what it is is we believe that we somehow, in our man-made efforts and methods, we can get people saved. And we help people, encourage people to believe this nonsense, that if they just do this, welcome to the kingdom of God. And the problem is um, we leave out truly the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel, which is God's power, once again, you mentioned some people think because you just mentioned the name Jesus, that's enough. Some people think if you just mentioned the word gospel, that's enough. But the problem is that's not even true. That's not even biblical. Matter of fact, statistics have proved that, you know, a large number of people, quote unquote, who've come to an altar, who have raised a hand, who've walked an aisle, are nowhere to be found today when it comes to Christendom. They're nowhere to be found. Why? Because it's not biblical, because it's not truly the work, the power of God in people's lives. So I think to myself here, and there's I gotta be honest with you, there is much that I could get into on this. And maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, but I know it bothers a lot of people when I even talk about it. But I know that listening to people and what they say and what they preach, you can truly tell where people are. You can tell when people use scare tactics. Now, I have said this before. I really truly believe that if you truly present the gospel, and in the midst of the good news is the bad news, and in the bad news we understand the wrath of God, We understand the ultimate destination of those who reject Jesus, those who live in their sin, which is hell, the lake of fire. Uh, I do believe that there should be fear, but the truth of the matter is for the person who's not regenerated, for the person uh, who really does not belong to Christ, there ain't going to be any fear. Matter of fact, we're even told in the last days that that's one of the things that will be evident. There's no fear of God before their eyes. There's no fear. And and a lot of people think a lot of things about hell and, you know, hell is just a place everybody's going to gather and have fun and drink a bunch of beer, you know, and watch some ball games or talk about the old days or whatever the case may be, which is all fallacy because we know that hell, biblically speaking, is a place of agony, a place of suffering, a place really where people are experiencing the wrath of God. But even in that, when we use it as a method to try to fear people or to get them, you know, so afraid they'll run into heaven, that's not even biblical either. Yes, we could talk about Jesus spoke about you know, hell and the judgment and the wrath of God to come more than he talked about heaven. But at the same time, we realize that when he brought forth the Word of God, he was the Word incarnate. We know this much. It is a work of the Word and the Holy Spirit that is convicting men of their sin. We can't get people to respond. But yet today, people manipulate— People manipulate emotionally. They manipulate through fear tactics, whatever the case may be. Why? Because I'm convinced we don't believe in the power of the gospel. We don't believe in the work of God. We want to try to accomplish something ourselves. We want to seal the deal. We want to make something happen in people's lives. And again, this becomes very, very difficult, because if we're going to line it up with Scripture, guess what? We're going to find ourselves in trouble. But again, we have, we have become experts, and I don't want to stick myself in there, but the Visible Church has become experts because through the music, through the mood of lighting and everything else and the seating and everything, they, they do these studies and they find out ways and means and methods of getting people to respond. And that's what it's about. And if they respond in any way, shape, or form, um, then that has to be God. And see, the truth of the matter is, to me, the altar call, this invitational system that's been man-made, is because of a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God. We don't trust God to be God. See, we expect results. We want to see results. We want to see people cry. We want to see people walk the aisle. We want to see people on their knees at the altar. We want to see people raise their hand. We want to see people pray this prayer, because we believe if they do these things and other things, then that definitely is the work of God. That definitely proves hallelujah. They're children of God. And it doesn't. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Think about this. Any fruit that you can think of takes time to blossom, takes time to really come to that point in place where um, it is, where it's supposed to be for us would be to eat or to be able to be useful. I mean, the truth of the matter is, when we think of fruit, we have this tendency to believe it's instantaneous or that somebody, because they said something, because they did something, they're now part of the kingdom of God. And the truth of the matter is, that's not the case. I want to just share a bunch of passages of Scripture, and, and I don't want to leave out the Word of God today in any of this, because I think that we, I would be amiss to do so. But, you know, to me, it always starts in the book of— when I look at the New Testament church in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the message is preached in chapter 2 by Peter— The Bible tells us very distinctively and clearly when they heard this in verse 37 of chapter 2, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? See, here's the work of the power of the gospel at work in the lives of sinners. Here is a demonstration of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit convicting men of their sins. Uh, Matter of fact, if you take the time and you open the Word of God and you study about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does and what He is all about, you will begin to realize that the work of the Holy Spirit uh, truly is first and foremost for us as believers. He is the Helper. Here's the paracletos. He is the one who comes alongside, the one who's just like Christ. Why? Because we know that the Holy Spirit is God. But when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, it tells us in John chapter 16, and when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Then obviously as a Christian, we know that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Now he's talking specifically to his apostles here and we don't have the time to get into this, but, but you could see in the book of John 14, 15, and 16, the work of the Holy Spirit. You can also go to Romans chapter 8, which I really believe that Romans chapter 8, as far as a believer goes, the whole entire chapter, if you want to learn about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, it's Romans chapter 8 for the believer. But when it comes to the sinner in the world, we know that as the gospel is preached, we know that there is this convicting power, the power of the Holy Spirit doing a work that only he can do. Now, you cannot deny, as I cannot deny, that the work that he does is selective. It is specific. There are some people that hear the gospel message, and when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the work, some would say, well, he's he, He's not effective because of the person being stubborn, the person is rejecting, the person is refusing to allow him to enter in his heart. And I hear all this kind of stuff all the time, which is really bad theology, bad understanding of salvation, because you're talking about God the Holy Spirit. So you're telling me that God the Holy Spirit cannot convict because a person, a human being, is refusing to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Now, many people would say, yes, that's what we're saying. Then you don't understand the sovereignty of God. God is omnipotent. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent. Jesus is omnipotent. God the Father's omnipotent. Man is not. See, that's another issue that becomes something that we can't get into today, but You know, some people just don't understand salvation. They really believe salvation is 100% completely the work of man. Man decides, man chooses, man is the one. He can, he himself can completely keep away from God. That, you know, he doesn't have to give in. He can fight till he's blue in the face. And, you know, he doesn't, he has the ability within him to hold off the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the of the power of God of the gospel, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And see, I'm just telling you that's ignorance. That's ignorance because people don't understand the Bible. They don't understand salvation, biblical salvation. I'm not talking about the salvation that's been created by man, which is in a it just it's it's everywhere it seems like we turn today. Man is in control. He's in the driver's seat. He decides about salvation. See, that's why the altar call and the invitational system becomes a system that really is man-made. It's a system of works. You decide to get out of your pew. You decide to raise your hand. You decide to come forward. You decide to ask Jesus into your heart. You decide to pray the prayer. It's all about what you do, and what we don't realize, it's about what God has already done within us that allows us to respond to the gospel message that's being preached, that allows us to truly realize who God is and who we're not. In my example, once again, you start with Acts chapter 2. Peter's preaching. They're pierced or they're pricked in their conscience, in their heart. And they say to Peter and the rest of them, Brother, what shall we do? Peter says, Repent and be each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we we could talk about this one for a whole entire podcast. Is he saying that you can't be saved unless you're baptized? No. We have to understand some things in Scripture. But we know that the message of Jesus, the message of the apostles, was repent and believe. They go hand in hand. You can't believe unless you repent. And unless you repent, you won't believe. But both repentance and believing is a work of God. But see, a lot of people don't even want to acknowledge that. They want to say, listen, I did it my way. Hey, I'm the one who decides how this goes down, how this happens. I think to myself, uh, when I look at the Word of God, I realize too, like, for instance, at the end of chapter 2, It says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who was adding to the number? The Lord. Well, you would say the evangelist. How many people did you get saved last night? I got 60 saved last night. Praise God. Over a thousand got saved. Then you'll hear the evangelist say, well, no, it's not me. It's God. All glory goes to him. I'm just the vessel being used. But you know what? They love to tout the numbers. They love to make people believe because they're here in a church and these things are happening that, you know, God is at work in them and through them. But the truth of the matter is, what's interesting about that statement in verse, uh, in the last part of chapter 2, verse 47, has nothing to do with the apostles. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. See, we don't save anyone. We can't get people saved. We can't take any credit, any glory for anything that God does when it comes to salvation. Then there's other places within the passage of Scripture, like, for instance, in Acts chapter 10. And we know that Peter is speaking, and it says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. So right in the middle of the message, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit at work convicting He falls upon things that happen to these men. How about this one? This is one of my favorites. And again, because of the time, I know I may be rushing through this, but I think of Acts chapter 16 in Lydia. And she was a worshiper of God. She was a religious person. But it says here she was listening. We know that Paul is preaching. And it says here, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord did the work. There's other places, like, like for instance, in the book of Ephesians. One, one, and these are some of my favorite passages. But the book of Ephesians, I've told people time and time again, chapter 1 and chapter 2, wow. Uh, get ready. It'll rock you because you'll begin to realize what the truth is when it comes to salvation. Listen to this. It says in verse 13 of Ephesians 1, "...in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory." See, the message is being preached. The power of the gospel is God's power, and in the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and understanding that they have believed. They believed because the Holy Spirit was at work. But even before we go there, the first two words of verse 13 are so important, and I wish I had the time today, but I don't, the words in him. If you study Ephesians chapter 1 in, in very just take the time verse by verse and look at it, you realize that being in Christ—there's two different people in our world, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Those who are in Adam are going to perish. Those who are in Christ will be saved. They, They truly will believe, they will be disciples, the children of the living God. But what's interesting is being in Christ takes place before the foundation of the world. And that is a topic for another time, but I, I just want to point this out to you. But what we find, and I mean, I could go on and on with this, you find scripture after scripture after scripture that just points to the reality of the gospel message being preached, and the men who are preaching the gospel message are not trusting themselves for really any type of response from the people, they're not manipulating. They're not trying to get people uh, to to believe something. They know that they they don't have the power to do so. They can't convert a single soul. They can't make anyone believe anything. But what they're doing is they are trusting God as they proclaim the message trusting God for the response. In other words, they're scattering the seed, and they're trusting God for the response. Now, some of you are going to say, okay, the response is the altar call. The response is the invitation. That's what we're talking about, Marty. Don't you get it, you knucklehead? No, you're missing it. We don't see any of that in the pages of Scripture. The response is, they repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, The Holy Spirit now dwells with them, and to define the fact that they're proclaiming Christ, they go into the waters of baptism. Matter of fact, boy, I wish I had the time today, but Romans chapter 10, it it gets me quite fired up because I hear this quite often. Romans chapter 10, people believe Romans 10 is a how-to to be saved, and it's not. Romans chapter 10 is the evidence of one's salvation. Where it starts off with the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Um, That the word of God is near you and in your mouth, the word of faith. But if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. People believe if you do this, you will be saved, and what people don't understand is this is not a formula for salvation. It is the evidence of salvation. And I wish I had the time on this podcast to show this to you, but if you study it and you study it carefully, you'll see this. Oh, I could go on and on. Um, the gospel coming, first, first Thessalonians chapter one. Uh, verses 4 and 5, "'Knowing, brother, beloved, by God his choice of you.'" See, it starts with the choice of God, not with the individual. "'For our gospel did not come to you in word only, did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction.'" Um, And then it says in verse 6, "'You became imitators of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation.'" with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became example to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. The word of the Lord sounded forth from you in verse 8. Um, it tells us in chapter 2 in verse 13, for this reason we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. See, there's the fruit, the work in you it's what it's what comes out because of what's already inside but it has nothing to do i could go on and on i could truly spend hours upon this there is nowhere from the ministry of jesus to the ministry of the apostles there is no biblical mandate for the invitation the altar call none whatsoever and i cannot stress this and so you know what there's people out there just like there is today in places, even in the Carolinas, where there is manipulation through word, through emotions, manipulating people by music, by fear tactics, and then having people believe that they're saved because they're crying, because they walked an aisle, because they came to an altar, which the only altar I know of in the Bible is where a sacrifice is given, a blood sacrifice. And guess what? The altar is no longer because the one sacrifice that was needed has already been given, and his name is Jesus. There's no longer any sacrifice. There is no such thing as an altar for us in Christianity. But again, for those who want to manipulate people, who want people to believe because they have done this, they have come here... They have knelt here. They have laid prostrate here. They've done this. They've done that. That they have somehow now have truly become the children of the living God. And everything is going to be okay. I cannot deny this, folks. There's so much more that I could say about this issue. And hopefully today what I have shared, I have shared in love. And hopefully you understand that this type of manipulation is not what God wants. This is not what God desires from His church. This is not what it's supposed to be about in any way, shape or form. So I want to encourage you if you have questions, thoughts, views, email me Martymento at gmail.com, uh, com. but it has been a blessing as always to have you a part of the Marty Minto Show podcast. I cannot stress this enough. Uh, it is just a blessing and I truly mean this a blessing. Uh, to be able to broadcast, uh, to share with you, and I hope and I pray that as time goes by, as you study the Word of God, I hope and pray that you will also see this for yourself and understand these truths uh, that are found in the pages of God's Holy Word, uh, the Bible. Until next time, may God bless you. May His face shine upon you. May you just have a blessed day knowing that truly Christ Jesus is is Lord and King. He is our Savior, our Master, and it is all about Him. Until next time, God bless.